0: Chapter six of Lucinda by Anthony Hope This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Venice The instructions for which I was waiting did not reach me for three days. I found reason to suspect later on that bribery had been at work. They had almost certainly been delayed, copied, and communicated to enemy quarters. The bulk of these enforcedly idle hours I spent with Lucinda. At the restaurant on the seafront, once or twice at my hotel, but never in the little house where she had a room, I often escorted her to the door, but she never asked me in. But we grew intimate. She told, I think all or almost all the story, though often still with the air of examining herself or of rendering an account to herself rather than of being anxious to tell me. Sometimes she would seem even to forget my presence. At other points, however, she would appeal directly to me, even urgently, as though she hung on my verdict. These changes gave variety and life to her story. One saw her living again through all her moods and experiences. On the other hand, it cannot be denied that they lengthened the narrative. In the spring of 1913, the spring after their visit to Cragsfoot, her mother and Lucinda went to stay on the top floor but one in Arsenio Valdez's palazzo at Venice, Valdez himself inhabiting the attics immediately above them. Poverty, the satirist remarked long ago, has no harsher incident than that of making people ridiculous. It may have worse moral effects. Mrs. Knievet had not so much accepted Valdez's invitation as intrigued and caged for it and they stayed rent free though even then valdez was by no means a well-to-do man and mrs knyvett could not receive favours in the grand manner she took but she took cringingly she over acknowledged constantly by manner and even by word reminding the donor and herself of the gift reminding her daughter also she did not it is true know about the kiss in the garden at cragsfoot lucinda kept that to herself her view was that in her mother's hands it would have been another lever arsenio lodged us free as it was if mother had known that she'd have made him board us too even as it was he seemed to have entertained them a good deal as was only natural while he played cicerone showing them the sights and pleasures of the place it was by no means mrs knyvett's intention or desire that her daughter should marry arsenio her ambition flew higher cragsfoot was to her still the most eligible prospect or project which had so far presented itself she kept in touch with it by letters to aunt bertha in them she angled for another invitation there just as she had caged for arsenio's invitation to the palazzo how many invitations does a charming daughter make in the arithmetic of genteel poverty arsenio was quite aware of her attitude towards him but it pleased his monkeyish humour to pretend to believe that she favoured a suit which he had himself no intention of pressing arsenio could not afford to marry a poor girl and probably did not want to marry at all his taste was for a bachelor life and his affairs were in a precarious state He could hardly be said to live by gambling he existed in spite of it in a see-saw between prosperity and penury as such men do he splashed his lira about when he had them when he was cleaned out he would disappear from the ken of the kenevitz for a day or two engaged in milking sundry old and aristocratic friends of his father who still resided in venice in a stately and gloomy seclusion and could be persuaded to open their not very fat purses to help a gentleman of spain who upheld the legitimist principle as we know from past events that arsenio did no he certainly did not intend at the beginning of their visit to mate poverty to poverty but there was lucinda lucinda under blue skies by day and soft moonlight by night there was that secret memory between them the meeting of their lips for him an incentive to gallantry almost an obligation according to his code for her more subtly a tie a union that she could not lightly nor wholly disown he did not speak of it directly but he would circle round it and talk and smile in an impish exchange of the unspoken memory he would laugh at waldo while with feigned sincerity he praised his sterling qualities oh his reliability his english steadiness dear good old waldo you'd trust him even in a gondola lucinda the gondola let it stand for the whole of venice's romantic paraphernalia an old theme a picture painted a thousand times no need to expatiate on it here to him it was all very familiar the nearest thing he had to a home to her of course it was a revelation they were both susceptible to impressions to beauty he retained his sensibility she developed hers she saw new things through his eyes he saw old ones newly reflected in the light of hers his feelings regained freshness while hers grew to maturity a warm ripeness in which the man and the place were fused together in one glowing whole oh i lived then she cried clasping her hands together and beating them upon her knee yet it must still have been with her own aloofness delicacy difficulty of approach the fires gleamed through the veil, but the veil was round them. He complained, it appeared, of her coldness, of the distance at which she kept him, at relapses into formality after hours of unreserved merriment. Mrs. Kenevitt chied her. Was he not the friend, the host, the benefactor? Within prudent bounds he should be handsomely encouraged, and rewarded mother told me that well-bred girls knew how to make themselves respected without being prudish maternal philosophy of an affectionately utilitarian order one eye on present amenities the other on grander prospects in the future but was there no fear also in that maternal breast did the situation and the actors raise no apprehension to some people to how many some have maintained to all Morality is not a master, but a good and ever-vigilant servant. It preserves the things that are of real value, the marketable stuff. And it dignifies its watch and ward with such high names, such sacred and binding traditions, that, well, really, what between the august sanctions on the one hand and the enormous material advantages on the other can it be dreamt of that any reasonable girl will forget herself? So one may suppose that Mrs. Kenevet reasoned for what, after all, is the leading article in a girl's stock and trade, who, properly instructed, would sell that under market price, and so stand bankrupt. So much may be said in apology for Mrs. Kenevitt's blindness to her daughter's peril, for in peril she was. Then an apology is needed for Arsenio? It would show a lack of humor to tender it. It is the last thing which those who have known and liked Monkey Valdez would think of doing he was a good catholic by tradition and a gentleman by breeding but he was an honest man only in fits and starts when honesty appealed to his histrionic sense when it afforded him the chance of a beaugesse when he felt himself under the eyes of the men with whom he had been brought up who expect honesty even in dealings with women at all events with girls of their own caste who draw a broad distinction between an intrigue and a seduction who are, in fact, not to labor the subject, born and trained adepts in the niceties, some of them curious, of the code of honor, which is certainly not a religious rule or an ethical system, but may be considered to embody the laws of sex warfare, to be a Hague convention between the sexes. Yet there is no need to picture the poor monkey as the deliberate villain of the stage your true villain must be deliberate and must rejoice in his villainy or all the salt is out of him arsenio was certainly not deliberate and in no way realized himself as a villain the event the course of affairs afterwards proves that he probably let his boat drift pleasantly delightfully down the river till the swirl of rapids caught it it is likely that he was himself surprised the under nature stormed the hesitating consciousness she gave no particulars i asked for none she shrank from them as i did it was after a delightful evening alone together on the water that it came mrs knyvett had gone to bed they were alone full of attraction of each other and of it all so lucinda summed up the notoriously amatory influences of the adriatic's queen she appealed to me woman now to a man of middle age to understand how it happened as she told me, well, she hardly told me, she let me see, she laid her hand in mine, her eyes sought mine, straight in question, yet hardly to me, rather to some tribunal which she blindly sought, to which she made a puzzled but not despairing, not altogether too tragic appeal. At Cragsfoot he had kissed my lips, you know, and I wasn't angry. That meant I liked him, didn't it? That meant, that meant the same that seemed to me to record, as she saying it still seemed to retain, a wonderful freedom from the flesh. She judged things by the spirit, a terribly dangerous criterion. Anybody can distort it, anybody may snigger at it, though I think that it offers more resistance to an honest laugh. There is a sort of pathos about it. Meant the same, poor dear, the gulf between the two things, immeasurable. Let's speak religion, though there perhaps the voices have varied, morality, prudence, the rest of them, and virgin modesty, shall we lay its fall most essentially in the less or the greater, in the parley or in the surrender? That's what she seemed to ask, but what answer could a plain man of the world give her? She had a few, a very few, days of happiness, of forgetfulness of everything except their love. Then the clouds gathered. She waited for a word from him that did not come. Not the first time that he had kept her thus waiting, yet how different. Arsenio grew fretful, disconsolate, and sometimes sullen. One of his disappearances occurred. He was raising the wind among his long-suffering aristocrats. He was scraping together every coin he could and throwing them all on the gaming table. If fortune smiled, he would do the right thing and do it handsomely. If she frowned, and there could be no doubt that she was frowning now, what lay before him, before them? A scamped and mean menage-a-trois existence eked out with the aid of Mrs. Kenevich's scanty resources and soured by her laments. No money for gaiety, for play, to cut a figure with. He shrank from the prospect. He could not trust his love with it. Probably he did not trust hers either. He began to draw away from her. She would not reproach or beseech. I had taken the chances. I had gambled, too, she said. Unless something had happened which put Arsenio under an even more imperative obligation, one which, as I would fain believe, he must have honored, it seems probable that the affair would in any case have ended as it did. But the actual manner of its ending was shaped by an external incident. The two were sitting together one morning in the Knievet salon. Lucinda mending her gloves, Arsenio doing nothing and saying nothing, melancholy and fagged after a bout of gambling the night before. Mrs. Kenevitt came in with an air of triumph, holding a letter in her hand. She was still ignorant of the situation, still sure that her daughter was making herself respected, though surely less apprehensive of her prudishness. And while they had been pursuing their devices, she had had hers also to pursue success had crowned her efforts the letter was from dearest miss fleming it invited mother and daughter to pay another visit to herself and sir paget as soon as they returned to england that is in about 6 weeks for they had to stay with friends in paris arranged in the immediate future a thing that had already begun to trouble lucinda it's delightful said mrs kanevit won't it help us splendidly through the summer any chance of your being there too, Don Arsenio? That would make it perfect. The good lady did not stay for an answer. She had her hat on and was going out to do her marketing. She laid the letter down on the table between them and bustled out, her face still radiant with the joy of successful maneuver. So Cragsfoot, completely forgotten of recent days, made its re-entry on the scene. FOR A FEW MOMENTS THEY SAT SILENT STILL WITH THE LETTER BETWEEN THEM. THEN LUCINDA SAID, WHAT ARE WE TO DO, ARSENIO? SHE RAISED HER EYES FROM HER sewing AND LOOKED ACROSS AT HIM. HE DID NOT RETURN HER GLANCE. HE WAS SCOWLING. THE INVITATION TO CRAGSFOOT, HE DID NOT KNOW ABOUT THE FRENCH VISIT, WHICH MRS KENEVIT WOULD READILY HAVE PUT OFF, IF SHE HAD PREFERRED TO STAY ON AT VENICE, BROUGHT HIM UP SHORT. IT PRESENTED HIM WITH AN ISSUE it forced lucinda's hand also no mere excuse no mere plea of disinclination would prevent mrs kniebet from going to cragsfoot and taking her daughter with her to stay there was not only a saving and a luxury in her eyes it was also prestige and a great possibility damn cragsfoot she heard him mutter and then he laid his head between his hands on the table and began positively to sob how much for unsuccessful gambling, how much for too successful love, heaven knows. But Monkey Valdez sobbed. She put down her work, went round to the back of his chair, and put her arms about his neck. I know, I know, Arsenio. Don't be so miserable, dear. I understand. And, and there's no harm done. You only loved me too much. And if you can't do what, what I know you want to do, he raised his head and said, in what she called a dead voice, I'm what he called me, that's the truth. He called me a dirty Spaniard. He said no English gentleman would do what I did. The night I kissed you at Cragsfoot. Waldo. He said that to you? He told you that? Waldo? Oh, I knew he was very angry, but you've never told me that he said that. Then, said Lucinda, as she told her story to me, I did something or said something that seemed to make him suddenly angry. What he repeated, what Waldo had said, somehow struck me with a queer sense of puzzle. It seemed to put him and Waldo back into the same sort of conflict, or at least contrast, that I had seen them in at Cragsfoot. I didn't, of course, accept the dirty Spaniard part. Waldo was just angry when he said that. But the words did bring Waldo back to my mind. Over against Arsenio, so to speak. I don't know whether you've ever noticed that I sometimes fall into what they call a brown study. I get thinking things over, and rather forget that I'm talking to people. I wasn't angry with Arsenio, I was feeling sorry for him. I loved him, and wanted to comfort him. But I had to think over what he had told me. Not only, perhaps not so much, as it bore on Arsenio, but as it bore on myself and what i had done and felt and-and allowed you know well arsenio suddenly called out quite angrily you needn't pull your arms away like that i had done it but i hadn't been conscious of doing it i didn't think about it even then i was thinking of him and waldo and i know that i was smiling as the old cragsfoot days came back to me i wasn't thinking in the least about where my arms were of course you and Waldo were curiously different, I said. He jumped to his feet as if I had struck him and broke out in a torrent of accusation against me. A few minutes before, he had himself said that Waldo had told the truth about him. Now he declared that it was I who had said it. I hadn't said anything of the sort. At all events, meant anything of the sort. I suppose I was sore in my heart but I should never have said a word. But he would have it that I had meant it. He talked very fast. He never stopped. And I must tell you the truth, Julius, it all seemed rather ridiculous to me, rather childish. I believe that I listened to most of it smiling. Oh, not a merry smile, but a smile all the same. I was waiting for him to work himself out, to run down. It was no good trying to interrupt and all the time the contrast was in my mind between him and Waldo, between Waldo's anger and this. I felt as I suppose a woman feels towards her naughty child. I wanted to scold and to kiss him both at once. I even thought of that wicked nickname that Waldo has for him. At last, after a great deal of it, he dashed one hand through his hair, thumped the table with the other, and flung out at me, then go to him, go to your English gentleman, leave me in the gutter where I belong, and he rushed out of the room. I heard his steps pattering up the stone stairs to his own floor. You must have been terribly distressed, I said, or something formal of that kind. No, I didn't believe that anything had really happened. I waited half an hour to let him cool down but Mother might be back every minute. There was still that question about Cracksfoot. I had to have some answer. I went up to his apartment and knocked. I got no answer. I went down to Amadeo de portiere, and he told me that Arsenio had gone out ten minutes before. I hadn't heard his footsteps coming down again. He must have stolen down softly. He was carrying a bag, had a gondola called, and went off in the direction of the station, saying that he would be back in a few days. That was the end of Venice. She came to a stop, gently strumming her fingers on the arm of her chair. On an impulse, I leant forward and asked her a question. "'Are you Madame Valdez now, Lucinda?' "'Donna Lucinda Valdez, at your service, sir, since the day after you saw me in the taxi.' THEN HE MUST HAVE EXPLAINED VENICE. NEVER. FROM THE FIRST DAY THAT WE MET AGAIN, WE HAVE NEVER MENTIONED VENICE. SHE TOUCHED MY ARM FOR A MOMENT. I RATHER LIKE THAT. IT SEEMS TO ME RATHER A TACTFUL APOLOGY, JULIUS. HE BEGAN COURTING ME ALL AFRESH WHEN HE CAME TO ENGLAND. AT LEAST HE TOOK IT UP FROM WHERE IT HAD STOPPED AT CRAGSFOOT. IT MAY BE TACTFUL. "'It is also rather convenient,' I commented gruffly. "'It avoids explanations.' "'A gleam of amusement lit up her eyes. "'Poor Arsenio. "'He was in a difficulty, in a corner, "'and he'd been losing. "'His nerves were terribly wrong. "'There was the question of me "'and the question of Cragsfoot, "'and then Waldo came into it. "'Oh, I'm sure of that. "'Those two men, it's very odd.' They seem fated to, to cross one another, to affect one another sometimes. I wonder whether she broke off knitting her brow. He sounded most genuine in that outbreak of his when he mentioned Waldo. I think he was somehow realizing what Waldo would think and say if he knew about Venice. Perhaps so, perhaps no. As for the rest of it, you think he wasn't quite as angry as he pretended to be? She seemed to reflect for a moment. I didn't say his anger was unreal, did I? I said it was childish. When a child runs heedlessly into something and hurts himself, he kicks the thing and tells his mother that it's horrid. I was the thing, you see. Arsenio's half a child. Again she paused. He's also an actor, and he contrived, on the whole, a pretty effective exit. That you ever let him come back again is the wonder. I cried. No, it's what happened before he came back that puzzles me, she said. End of chapter 6